0: Well, I welcome you to week three of our talk series called The Greatest Show. It's summertime, and so that means people are on the move. So first of all, we welcome our students back from Mobile this week, 60-something of them are back home. We're glad that they're back home, back, back safe. And I heard it was a great week, but it's the kind of thing I'm saying people are on the go. Um, I encourage you to check out the prior talks online. What we're going to be talking about today is kind of set up from some of the prior talks. And so, I encourage you to go check it out online. Every once in a while, um, we get to hear a cool story and just be reminded of um, how God can use the online ministry to bless people's lives. This week, I heard a story from one of our um, Heart of Life moms. Who, some time ago, when she had, she had given birth to one of her babies, and, and there was a, um, a struggle there, the, some complications with the, with the baby, and so the baby was in NICU, was in the ICU, supposed to be there a couple of weeks. And so my dad went to the hospital um, to visit them. They happened not to be there at that given moment, um, but when they returned, the nurse told them, hey, Your pastor came, and uh, she said, I did something that I'm not supposed to do. She said, but when he showed me his card, and I saw it was heart of life, she said, I don't go to church there, but I've watched their messages online. And she said, I trust them. And so she said, I did what I wasn't supposed to do. I let him pray over your little baby. He prayed over the little baby, and by the way, the little baby God decided to send home the next day. I'm just saying you never know what God can do through any given avenue. Sometimes it's, it's building trust. Sometimes it's just ways that God blesses people. So we're constantly looking for how can we do this online thing better? How, how can we communicate better, clearer? And that's a part of what, what we're going to be um, trying today. That's a part of what we're going to be implementing. And so from every once in a while you'll see something different. and It's like it just helps us, we believe, to communicate better in terms of uh, that online ministry and what God lets us do. All that to say, I encourage you to check out the messages before. There's two of them that set up today. This is a series about something much greater than the applause of people. This is a series about an appetite for something much more powerful than our own prominence. Because the greatest show is not our show. The greatest show is God's show. It is the show of His greatness, and it's what the Bible simply refers to as the glory of God. That's the greatest show. And so, the greatest life that can be lived is a life lived for the glory of God. And so, as Jesus followers, this is who we will be. We will be a people who pursue obscurity. We pursue obscurity. What we mean by that is we, we are to live a life that shines a light, but the light is to shine on who? Jesus. He's the one that we want people to see. We don't need the applause of people because our identity is in Jesus. We see His greatness, therefore we pursue obscurity that His greatness might be seen. Well, when we do that, there is an unmistakable link between seeing God's greatness and, second, being present intentionally in the lives of people. We will show up in the lives of people, and you're going to see it again today, over and over, this link between, I don't need it to be about me. When it becomes about Jesus, then I realize I need to show up in the lives of people. That leads us to the third Step, which is what we're going to talk about today, and that is to engage meaningfully. I, I show up in people's lives, but how do I know if I'm doing this right? How do I know if what I'm doing is really the best for this person? It, it, how, what does love require of me in each situation? So that's what we're going to talk about today, and in order to do that, I'm going to take you on a little Jesus journey, if we can. We, we found out last week, the goal is see what Jesus does, do that, and then you know it's clear you love God. It's not some big list of rules that we're following, it's look at what Jesus does, you do that, and then you know. So, I'm going to start the journey in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Um, verse 10, and we're going to look at several different scripture today, but here's where it starts in Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. The Bible says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, right? That Jesus was good on dinners, right? We see Jesus often hanging out with people having dinner. This is Matthew. Matthew would become one of the 12. He's one of the 12 who are going to follow Jesus. But many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, the reason the tax collectors are there is because Matthew was a tax collector. And when you hear the word tax collectors, you think hate. Everybody hated the tax collectors. They cheated people out of their money. The reason there's a bunch of them there is because when Matthew invites people over, ain't nobody want to go to a tax collector's house except uh, Tax collector. they they got to have their own parties because nobody else wants to go. Here's Jesus in Matthew's house in a room full of tax collectors. Let's keep going. When the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, by the way, if, if you don't get it, Tax collectors were so bad, they have their own category of sin. Everybody else is a sinner, and then there's a tax collector, right? It could be worse. You could be a tax collector. that's, that's, That's the view. And here's Jesus in the middle of all this. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." I want to hang out on this phrase for a minute. Jesus I, says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's actually a quote from the prophet Isaiah. Long time ago, God had said the same thing through Isaiah, and God said it in the middle of accusing His people of their love being like the dew on the grass. Now, what does that mean? Well, what's the dew on the grass like? It shows up, and then it's what? Quickly gone. Gone. Right? You may wake up in the morning and you, you see it, it looks like everything, and then, and then in a matter of moments, it is gone. And, and God is saying, that's what your love is like. You show up and you make these sacrifices, you, you make these offerings, but your love is gone. It's just these rituals that you are doing. The point is, God wants there to be something real with His people. He, he wants there to be an affection toward him. He wants there to be mercy, he says, toward others. There's the link. When you love God, there will be mercy. When you, when you love God, you will show up in the lives of people. When you love God, you will, you will want to engage them in a meaningful way. God doesn't just want people who are just going through religious requirements. And so here, he says, it's the the sinners that he calls sick, and they need a doctor. And that's interesting in this case, because these sinners, they are the people who have the most money. They're the tax collectors. They are the money movers. But he says, they need a doctor, and that doctor is Jesus. But here's, here's what's happening in this room. All the Pharisees can see is that if Jesus sits down with this group of people, Jesus, you're going to get contaminated. Jesus, you're going to be unclean. You sit down in this house with people like tax collectors, there's a ceremonial problem. Something huge is happening in that house but they could not see it. They were focused on trivial matters. They were focused on ceremonial cleanness. When Jesus is about to do something so miraculous, it's about an eternal sickness that he's going to heal in the life of these people. Let me show you another time. Another time in Matthew's Gospel is Matthew chapter 23. Jesus, talking to the Pharisees, says in verse 23, you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So what's he saying? He's saying the stuff you ought to be paying attention to, you're, you're missing that. He goes on in verse 24 to say it this way, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Now, I don't think the Pharisees laughed when he said that, but I think anybody else who was looking on was like, <coughs> swallow a camel. I think Jesus was a lot funnier than we realize. And I think these are the kind of moments, what, what is Jesus saying to them? He's saying you're focused on the trivial. You're straining out a gnat and you're missing we would say the elephant in the room you 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 miss the camel that you just swallowed right You're you're so wrapped up with the trivial that you miss the big picture. It's the same lesson that Jesus was teaching with I desire mercy, not sacrifice. One of the great obstacles to actually engaging meaningfully in people's lives. One of the enemies that keeps you from engaging meaningfully in people's lives is to be preoccupied with trivial things. And Jesus is warning them, don't go through your day just focused on trivial matters. Don't go through your day only thinking trivial thoughts. Don't go through your day only dealing with, vi- with feelings that are actually just about trivial things. It's as though he wants us to, to every day pinch yourself, right? It, it, it's really, if you could pinch your, your heart, right? Otherwise, you're going to find yourself sitting in front of a screen all day and neglecting what he calls the most important matters, like mercy. What Jesus is teaching is you got to be intentional. you got to be intentional with your life about the weightier matters, the stuff that matters most, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. It would do us well to ask the questions daily, how much of my life is absorbed in the trivial? And how much of my life is absorbed in engaging people in a meaningful way? Now, I'm telling you, and you can search this out for yourself, this is a big deal because Jesus says it over and over and over again. He says it in Matthew chapter 9. He says it in Matthew 23. He says it over and over and over again. We see it in some of the greatest stories that we think of in the Bible, like the day that we're told that an expert in the law comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds to him, one, you love God, all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and two, you love who? Your neighbor. Link, ding, 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 Anybody? over and over again. You love God, then you're going to what? Love your neighbor. You, you love God, you're going to engage in people's lives. The man responds then, who's my neighbor? He's trying to narrow this deal down. And Jesus tells him what is now a most famous story for church people called the Good Samaritan. The story goes like this. A man travels from the ro- on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and as he's traveling along the road, he is attacked by robbers. They leave him for dead. Jesus says, but soon a, a priest walks by. The preacher comes by. But Jesus clearly tells in his story, the preacher saw the man who was left for dead, and he walks by on the other side of the road. But then Jesus says a Levite comes along, the worship leader. But, but he says the worship leader sees that the man is wounded, but he also walks by on the other side of the road. But then Jesus says, along comes a Samaritan. And I'm telling you, I'm convinced the day Jesus told this story, When he said the word Samaritan, everybody went, boo, boo. They they start booing because they hate Samaritans. This Samaritan is about to do something horrible. They just know it. But in Jesus' story, it was the Samaritan who saw the man, and he stopped, and he helped him. And then Jesus asked this question in Luke chapter 10. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers?" And this is how the man answers. The expert of the law replied, the one who had what? Mercy on him. There it is again. The one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Now, that sounds familiar. In Matthew chapter 9, it was go and see what this means. Jesus challenging. Here's what I want you to see, and now I want you to do something with this. In Jesus' story, the the preacher and the worship leader, the priest and the Levite, they represent the same thing that the word sacrifice represented back in Matthew chapter 9 for us. It was going through some religious motion, but it's really only religious ritual. By the way, what does mercy look like? Well, in this story, Jesus answers that. If we go back to verse 33, he tells us what the Samaritan does. But a Samaritan enemy taught your whole life, don't trust them, don't don't have anything to do with them, but a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he saw him. He's got eyes to see the hurt that's in front of him. He took pity on him. That's a heart, a heart that cares, a heart that has compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. I would submit to you, that's one of the most beautiful pictures of mercy you will find anywhere in the Bible. What what is mercy? Mercy is when you have eyes that can see the distress, a heart that has compassion, effort to make a difference even in your enemies. Eyes that can see, a heart that cares. action to make a difference even to your enemies. That is mercy. By the way, I think the reason that Jesus picked a pastor and a worship leader to tell this story, it's a warning. It's a warning that for far too many people, they are caught up in the mechanics of religious activity but they have no eyes to see the hurts of the people around them. They got no heart of compassion to care. They put no effort into trying to make a difference. And I'm going to say sometimes, unfortunately, that's even with the people we like besides our enemies. I think that's why Jesus picked who he picked in the story. Jesus said, this is what our life is supposed to be about. But there's always danger, your life to be about engaging meaningfully in the lives of people, but there's always a danger of preoccupation with trivial things. Those trivial things can be secular. I mean, it really can be anything from television to, to, to a computer, right, to a game system, to whatever your favorite hobby is, that that can preoccupy all of your heart and time. Or it can be religious stuff. It can be anything from preaching to praying to teaching to tithing, any kind of activity that does not cultivate a heart for the weightier things like justice and mercy and faithfulness. The proof, the, the proof is in the pudding. Isn't that a weird, as I'm writing that, I'm like, that's a weird old statement. That sounds like a grandpa phrase, doesn't it? I wear it proudly. I wear it proudly. The proof is in the pudding. What does that mean? It means you, you got to get in there to know what this tastes like, right? You, you gotta, it, it takes eyes that can see. It takes a heart of compassion. It takes action that desires to make a difference, and it's for all now that's what it's supposed to look like that's what my life's supposed to be about that's what your life's supposed to be about it's supposed to be engaging in the lives of people in that way the question i want to ask is am i like am i supposed to do that like all, every time i mean i mean should i always show mercy Because that's part of what I'm wrestling with. Like, I want to make sure I do the right thing. But should I always show mercy? We have to understand from Scripture that God's instruction, God's will, is that sometimes we respond to people with what they deserve. There is sometimes that people make bad decisions and we are told to respond to them in a way that they deserve out of those bad decisions. Sometimes we are to respond. Um, to good decisions that they make, but we respond in a way that they deserve. Does that make sense? So whether it's bad decisions or good decisions, sometimes we are, we are given the instruction to act in such a way in this person's life that this is what they deserve. That's called justice. Justice. But then the Bible clearly says that there are other times that we are to respond to them in a way that is better than they deserve. And the Bible calls that mercy. So responding the way that's deserved, that's justice. Responding in a way that's better than deserved, that's mercy. When, When we appropriately respond in those ways, we are declaring the truth. Our God is a God of justice. Our God is a God of mercy. Let's look, at, um, let's look at a couple of examples. I think this will help us get there. We'll talk about a parent. We'll talk about a judge. We'll talk about an employer. Justice and mercy. So in the case of a parent, a parent knows biblically that if you don't discipline your children, are you setting them up for good? No, you're setting them up for harm, right? For example, the Scripture says, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them, okay? Bible's really clear. If a parent really loves, then they're going to discipline. But parents, do you know That there are these moments, there are these times that your child is going to make a mistake, your child is going to be at fault. And as a parent, you choose not to respond with justice in the sense of, here's what they deserve because of a bad decision that is made. Every once in a while, you respond to their wrongdoing with mercy. And the reason you do it is to be able to sit them down and look them in the eye and say, Do you understand this is what Jesus did for you and me at the cross? I love those moments as a parent. For all those moments I hate when you gotta like stand your ground and you gotta discipline the, the decisions made, and you know for, for their long term good, you've got to stand your ground, and there has to be some discipline, there has to be some consequences, but then there are those moments when you know you get to go. Not only are you forgiven like you always are, but in this particular case, we're not gonna impart what you deserve, we're gonna show mercy because that's what Jesus does. Those are beautiful moments. When you wisely select those as parents, it it is one of the most powerful, impactful moments that you will ever have in communicating what Jesus really looks like. Justice, mercy. See what I'm saying? Justice, mercy. How about a judge? What's a judge supposed to do? A judge is supposed to be impartial. A judge is supposed to look at each situation, and he, he should a, appoint a, 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 a consequence, a punishment according to the seriousness of the crime. Here's what Romans tells us. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. A judge is supposed to live by that. It's supposed to be truth. It's supposed to be impartial. He looks at the situation, and and there are times that there there is wrong that is done, and there are consequences that must be paid. But then every once in a while, you see a circumstance in a judge where there is a leniency that is granted. It says this is what should happen, but there is a leniency that's granted. As he senses something in the life of that person or something for the greater good, justice, mercy. Let's do one more, an employer. An employer who's a Jesus follower, the Bible teaches us that you should pay a fair wage. You should pay a fair wage, but you should also be able to expect excellence in terms of work, all right? Look at what the Bible says again. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. So, I'm going to pay a fair wage, but I'm going to expect that there be a, a work ethic that, that, is, that is real. And so, in the life of someone where they refuse to work, well, there is a justice that comes with that. There is a consequence. If you don't work, you don't make a paycheck, and you're not going to eat. But in the case of a Jesus-following employer, there may be some moments where you choose to go an extra mile, and maybe someone does a job and they deserve something, but you decide, um, I'm going to go further than that. Or, Or maybe it's someone who's sick. And they're not able to work, but you're going you're gonna to go beyond and, and you're going to choose to, to take care of them for a period of time. That, that's what it should look like for a Jesus follower employer when, when they can do that. Sometimes there's justice, sometimes there's mercy. You ready for the big question, Jeff, how in the world do I know when to do each? Anybody else thinking that? How do I know when To implement justice, how do I know when to implement mercy? I mean, how do I know? God says sometimes justice, sometimes mercy. How do I know? Here's the answer. You ready? You're going to love this. You better stick as close to Jesus as you possibly can. Because the answer is a faith answer. How do I know? Jesus. Jesus how do I know? Jesus. You better stick as close to Jesus as you possibly can because the point is every time you engage a situation, there is not some exhaustive list in Scripture that says, if all these things line up, then you show show justice. If all these things line up, then it's you better stick as close to Jesus as you can. And when you get into those situations, That's where the relationship of being with him, he leads you to know when justice, when mercy. The goal of Scripture is not to produce the list of rules. The goal of Scripture is to produce a heart that looks like Jesus. And the only way that happens is when you walk it out with him. You walk it out with him. So should a a Jesus follower... Always show mercy. My answer is a qualified no. No in the sense of sometimes it's got to be justice. Sometimes you got to stand and support the claims of justice in response to somebody who who maybe they have committed a wrong. and, And for the good of a greater people, there has to be a consequence that stands with that. But it's a qualified no. Because even in the moments that you stand with justice, the way that you do it is supposed to be different than the rest of the world. When a parent disciplines, there's supposed to be a difference in the heart of a parent that follows Jesus. That There's supposed to be a difference in the heart of a judge that follows Jesus. There's supposed to be a difference in the heart of an employer that follows Jesus. Come on, parents, haven't there been—that's I mean, probably a dangerous question, because if you say no to this, I'm worried about you. But if, hadn't there been moments that you discipline your children and your heart weeps? you discipline your children, you stand in justice because you know it's what's best for them, but your heart weeps. Yeah. There are times that employers have to do the same thing, and you know there's a right move, but your heart weeps. Yeah, it's justice and mercy. And the point is, even when we stand in justice, we are supposed to be merciful people you got to stick close to Jesus. I know you'd rather have a list, but the truth is, no, you wouldn't. You'd rather have Jesus. You'd rather have Jesus. Jeff, just give me a list. No, Jesus is better than the list. He's better than the list. you got to stick with him. you got to stay close to him. Keep, keep your heart zeroed in on him, and he will… All along the way, help you. God, I don't want to focus on the trivial. I want to focus on the things that matter. What are the things that matter? Justice, mercy, and faith. Isn't it interesting that faith is required if you're going to know when to implement justice and when to implement mercy? All right. So let me just give you something to kind of wrap this up that maybe will help you remember. Remember. Maybe just a little. I, sometimes I like acrostics, which is just like a word that helps me like, remember a few things when I'm walking through something. So that's, that's kind of how I want to end it in terms of, okay, this week when you are attempting to engage in people's lives, how do you go about that? How, I, mean, I want to meaningfully make a difference in a person's life, but how, how do I know that I'm doing that? Let me, give you, let me give you just kind of something to help you remember it. Two verses I'm going to give you, and then I'll show it to you. The first verse is 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says, no soldier on service gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim, his aim is to satisfy the one who enlisted him. I like that. What's it mean? It's saying the same thing that Jesus has been saying to us all morning. Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter twenty. A soldier does not get entangled in trivial matters. Same thing. He's got an aim. And that aim is to please the one who is in authority. Okay? So we got an aim. I went, that, I just, I went, we're going to aim at something. Here's what we're going to aim at. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is where God has the initial, one of the initial uh, encounters with Abraham, and, and he's, he's making a covenant with Abraham, and he's, he's promising Abraham the difference this is going to make. And this is what he says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Blessing. He keeps going. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be — just in case you missed it the first time — blessed through you. Abraham, your life's going to bless. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. In fact, the whole world's going to be blessed through you. It's It's this early picture that we are given, the difference that Jesus-following people are supposed to make we bless in the lives of people. We are to be a part of God's blessing in the lives of people. So today, I want to challenge you to aim to bless. Aim to bless, and it's just a little something to help you kind of put this together, something to to walk away with as 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 you go today, as you go this week, as you are seeing people, as your heart is moved, as you are ready to take action. How can I help? Aim to bless. The B stands for begin with prayer. That's not just a church line. Your success is tied to that. Because who actually does the blessing? He does. Who, who actually makes the difference in people's lives? He does. You understand, there's just a beginning part of this where people have to want to be helped. Do you understand that? People have to want to be helped. You, you can't help someone who does not want to be helped. But that does not mean that you just back up, throw your hands up, and go, well, I tried. That's not a heart of compassion. A heart of compassion says even when people don't want to be helped, you are where? On your knees. God, will you give them what they want to? God, will you help them to see? the brokenness that they're in. God, will you help me to know how to be a part of that? If it's something I'm supposed to say along the way, something I'm supposed to see, God, will you help me to be a blessing in the lives of people? Will you help me engage meaningfully in their lives? I want to challenge you to this week, think about a brief list. And we'll follow this up probably some next week um, with something more, but a brief list. Who, who, who are the names? Who are the names? Who, who are the names of the people that you see around you? They hurt. Some of them, they do not know Jesus, but, but who's the list? Make the list and pray for the list. Pray. It's where we have to start. Alright? It's where we want to start. The L stands for listen. Don't you hate that? Listen, because this is not about convincing the person of your point of view. This is about listening to their point of view, even if you disagree with them. And man, that's tough for some of us. I'm going to say it again. This is not about getting them to agree with your point of view. Whatever the the issue is, it's not about dragging them to to your side. The ultimate goal is that they will see how great Jesus is and put their trust in him, and then Jesus is a whole lot better at you and me in changing hearts to agree with his. That's the ultimate goal. So it's got to be about listening. I think it was Francis Schaeffer who who once said, if you've got an hour, spend 55 minutes listening and asking questions, and then take the last five minutes and say something meaningful. That's pretty good advice. Take 55 minutes and listen. Ask questions. And then the last five minutes, say something meaningful, because you have to listen to their heart before you can speak into their heart." That's the L. Listen, the E is eat. (laughs) I like that. Well, who does that? Jesus. That's where we saw him start today, right? He's in the house of Matthew. He's there for dinner. We often see Jesus eating. He's either at a wedding or he's at a party or he's at somebody's house. He, he's always eating. This is the one that we tend to go, well, well yeah, that's kind of obvious, but I'm convinced that this might be the most difficult one for us. You're like, no, it's not that difficult. I promise you, Jeff, look at me. I know how to eat. No, I'm saying it's the most difficult because to sit down and have a meal requires— And that takes more than a text, more than a phone call, more than a quick email, how you doing? No, to sit down and eat disrupts the schedule. And Jesus is saying, maybe this is supposed to be the schedule. Because this is where the weightier matters get tackled. Maybe it's a cup of coffee. Doesn't have to be a whole meal, right? But some way, I challenge you even this week to look at your calendar and, and, and pick some times that you invite some people to eat. Pick some times that you invite some people to have coffee or whatever it is, you know, you enjoy. Have some time where you're going to sit down across the table, and we go, well, I'm going to need to look at my schedule. I know. I know. And I think that's why Jesus would say these same things to us. Man, are the weightier matters Is that what your life is in, or or is it all this trivial stuff? Eat sounds simple, but eat is powerful. The first S, serve. All I mean by that is if you're really praying for somebody and you're really listening into their life, you will start to hear of brokenness, you will start to hear of things that they need, and then you can respond to those needs. Yes, sometimes it it may be a financial, sometimes it's something that that you can actually do for them, Uh, something around their house, something maybe health-related, whatever it is, you will start to hear the brokenness, you will start to hear and you will be able to serve them, and that gets us to the last S, and the last S is share your gospel story. The gospel is the good news of Jesus, so I'm saying share your story of the good news of Jesus in your life. Do you realize that if we don't get to the gospel, what have we really given? We have stopped far short of what love looks like. Because we can feed, and we can clothe, and we can, we can house, we can do all that stuff, but I mean the ultimate goal is that they see how great Jesus is. The ultimate goal is that their life be entrusted to him. And so after you have prayed, right? You prayed, God, make my heart right. God, give me eyes that can see. God, how how can I? And then you listen, you take the time to, to value who they are, right? To enough time that you'll sit down and, and to eat and the barriers come down and the conversation starts to happen. You hear about the brokenness and the needs, and so you're willing to serve. They see you're not you're not mightier than they, right? Right? You're not holier than they. You, you want to care, and then you're ready to share. You're ready to share the difference that Jesus has made in your life. This past uh, week, Jen and I got away one, one uh, lunch, so she and I were having lunch together one day for a few minutes. And as we're sitting there eating lunch, she said to me, Do you hear what's going on behind you?" And I said, uh, no, baby, I'm just focused on you. That's the best thing some of y'all got today, all right? (laughs) She said, listen, I didn't really say it exactly like that, but I should have. She said, listen, and the guy behind me was talking to his friend. You could tell it was probably a work experience. He said something like, you know, we've been friends for a long time. We've been working together for a long time. And he said, I've never told you. He said, but I need to tell you what's most important to me. And it's something I want you to have just like I have and he just started unpacking the truth of who Jesus is and how much Jesus loved him. and The day that he had turned his life over to Jesus and the brokenness that was there and how Jesus was still working and Jesus was still healing, he did a fantastic job sitting at a lunch table. I think that's the picture. That's the picture. That's, that's how he designed. That, that's, I, I'm, I'm asking you when that guy got home that night and that guy rolls back through his daily schedule of what he did that day, I wonder how many things were above that. I mean, he might have like finished some big project, you know what I'm saying? He he might have brought to completion some big big deal at work. I mean, who who knows? He might have there might have been some incredible feats that he had accomplished that day, but I'm challenging you to come up with one that was above what happened at that table and the guy didn't the guy didn't, you know, respond with, oh, yes, I'm all in. He, he didn't, but he also didn't run away. And you can tell that conversation was going to keep going. That relationship was going to keep going. But you could tell that guy had gained some trust. He had gained some trust, and he shared his story. As frustrating as summer can be because everybody's in different directions, one of the things I love about summer is the baptism celebration. It's coming up a couple of weeks. We'll gather at the farm, and it's just such a beautiful time, everybody together and kids playing and people hanging out. The baptisms obviously are the center stage. To see people commit to taking that step of an outward picture of what's happened on the inside of them, I'm encouraging you if you've never taken that step, let's talk. Let's talk about what that means, and, and it's time for you to take that next step with what Jesus has called you to do. It's a part of your story. He's writing a story in you. It's his story, a story of his goodness. I want to challenge you to take that next step. There are some of you who were baptized a long time ago, but it's time for you to pull the story back out of the drawer. It is time for you to find your story again. Be reminded of what Jesus has done in your life and start to look for those opportunities where you can just say in a very simple kind way, here's here's what Jesus has done for me. And because I care about you, I want you to know what he'll do for you. When you do that, your story testifies to the justice, the mercy, the faithfulness, the greatness of God. Next week I'm going to wrap this thing up and we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about something that I think is a real struggle um, as we move forward with trying to engage meaningfully in people's lives. Um, I think it's a misconception Next week, I'm going to tackle it. I hope you'll come back. I'm going to pray. We're going to spend some moments just declaring God's faithfulness, asking him to help us. If you need prayer, we'll be on the side. We'd be honored to help you today. But the real, the real decision happens when we leave today, because then it becomes— Who do you see? How do you love? And will you choose to act even to your enemies? God, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for um, giving us eyes that can see just enough repetition in the Bible where um, this this is like not a trivial matter. This is something that you wanted us to get, and so you gave us story after story, uh, just moment after moment, where, where you keep bringing up the same point, God, some of us, our lives really are engulfed in, in trivial matters. Um, and I'm asking you to give us a heart that can distinguish the way you distinguish that which is weightier, justice, mercy faithfulness. God I pray today that this wouldn't just be a talk that we sit through, but that it really would become more of the pattern of our hearts, God, that you, you would do in us what really needs to be done today. God, you would change in us. God, some of us are scared to death to engage people. We're so afraid that we're going to do this wrong, and I'm asking that you'd give us a glimpse of who you are, that we would trust you more, that we would know that you love us to a degree that is greater, that we don't have to fear our failure. Give us faith that we'll know what to do as we enter those moments. And thank you that it's not a list. Thank you, it's you. Help us to stay as close to you as we can. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.